Welcome to the panel, RNZ National, Wallace Chapman here, Dr Ella Henry, Patrick Gar with me today, and by the way, someone's just written in, Ella and Patty, the, potentially the GOAT panel, greatest of all time. Uh, well, I don't know about that, um, but uh, a good 7 out of 10 for me. Anyway, uh, and Patty needs to start his own political party, he's got my vote, now that, now that Winston's gone, I don't know where to take that, but uh, yeah, someone said I don't know where to take that, yeah, no. I don't know how to take that either, yeah, no, yeah. Now, we have had a big response regarding questions uh, around electric vehicles for uh, just just a couple for now. Valerie in Napier says, I'm keen to know how the electricity suppliers will cope with a large number of people charging their cars all at once overnight. And another question, are there any potential problems, health problems attached to driving an EV, for example, exposure to magnetic fields? Well, I don't know about that. But anyway, from next month, people buying new EVs could get over $8,600 back from the government. Under the clean car discount, imported electric and plugged-in hybrid vehicles, both new and used, will be eligible for a rebate. The cars need to be under $80,000 and have at least a three-star safety rating. And to pay for it, imported cars with high emissions will cost extra from January next year. So, for example, a Toyota Hilux bought into the country could incur a fee of just under $3,000. National says it's a reverse Robin Hood system. But does that tempt you to make a switch? Emeritus Professor Henrik Moller is from the University of Otago's Centre for Sustainability, and he tracked the views of hundreds of Kiwi EV owners as part of a citizen science project dubbed Flip the Fleet. Professor Moller, kia ora, welcome. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Lovely to have you on. So tell me, is it going to work? Will this tip people over into getting an electric vehicle? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a game changer. It's um, absolutely uh, needed. Uh, And uh, if only we had had it um, three or four years ago, uh, we wouldn't be so behind now and the cost of uh, cleaning up climate change would be uh, um, uh, less. So, uh, you know, our surveys of EV owners say the, the biggest disincentive that delayed people buying was the sticker price, the, the yes. start-up costs. And uh, once they got it, they are saving money. They save, uh, we reckon it costs about 24% of, of the cost to fuel and uh, repair an EV compared to a conventional vehicle. So it's great when you're in, but getting in, it's the high uh, purchase cost that has um, deterred people. And this, this change of policy is a smart way of getting around that and uh, kick-starting the whole process. Okay, so we've got a panel uh, getting the jump in very, very soon. But So I'm looking at uh, the price, right, a big one. Who can afford an $80,000 car? That's one. But looking at the cheaper models, I did that today. So, for example, you can get a rebate on second-hand EVs. That'll be the game-changer, right? So a 2014 Nissan Leaf is on Trade Me right now. That's $11,500. I get a $2,300 rebate on that. That would make it 9200 Henrik. Yep, uh, that's that's right. So getting that help uh, for second-hand cars is important. But honestly, Wallace, I think that what we have to do is stop relying just on uh, second-hand imports. And the way the fee bait is higher for used imports is uh, new, uh, new cars is the crucial thing. So we can't carry on while the world is divesting from fossil fuel cars um, and taking up EVs, accepting people's second-hand EVs. Uh, and this fee-bait system uh, incentivizes new cars coming in the top, and then these will trickle down through the fleet oh, and I be see. passed on to other people. So 
uh, for me, it's a, it's a game changer in that way too of putting the accent on helping uh, bring in the new uh, EVs at the top. And these new EVs are smarter. Um, they have got uh, bigger batteries, uh, are more more practical. Um, so it's just their cost that is the major hurdle, and mm. policy uh, is going to change that. Uh, uh, look, I absolutely applaud anything that's going to contribute to us reaching our zero emissions, which we've made a commitment to as a country. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Do you have an EV? I don't currently, um, but then I, I like my little car and I'm not due to replace it till later this year, so now I have an incentive. Right. But my main concern, I guess, is for those families who uh, are having trouble for putting food on the table, um, who still may need a vehicle, particularly in areas where there is no public transport, and <clears throat> if they get the trickle-down very bottom of the EV um, pool, then they're going to get something that the batteries are ready to go. There are so many hidden costs, so I want to make sure that we protect our most vulnerable uh, so that they too can enjoy the benefits of this EV revolution. That's a revolution. good point, isn't it, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and, you know, that means we've got to attack the whole inequity and income differential in, in New Zealand. That's one of the sustainability issues. Uh, different modes of transport need to be made available. Um, there will be a short-term uh, inequity in that uh, uh, people without the same income will not be able to access an EV quicker. Mm. But remember that there will be a lot of second-hand cars coming available and they all get cheaper. So as an interim measure, then uh, it, uh, I think that the disadvantage of for poor people relatively temporary as we make this transition in our fleet. Patty, so I think well, it's, a... it's definitely a game-changer for me because I want to get on Trade Me right now and get that Nissan Leaf... Um, because that's that sounds about me. So yeah. you said eleven grand on trade me. It's eleven half thousand dollars. You get, get a rebate. Yeah, get the three grand rebate, and you've got a Nissan Leaf for eight grand. I know that this is not an opinion. This is actually news I can use thanks to you, and I want to beat you to that Nissan Leaf <laughs> because that's about that's about my price point and my kind of vehicle. I'm driving a 2001 Toyota Corolla at the moment, and it's pretty beaten up. And um, you know, I am I am you know, it is about so time. So you're tempted. You're tempted. Oh, look, it's free money from the government. Government um, and definitely at around that level. I wouldn't. What's the cheapest? I don't know if you know. What is the cheapest brand new one that you could get that eight grand on? Because that 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 must 40, be forty forty five. Yeah, that's a, that's quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, the new yeah. the new leaves coming in in that range, but. <clears throat> That's want, a high-end vehicle. I want vehicle. to put it to you, Professor Moll. I want to put this to you because I've got, I've got to sneak this in that um, what, what, is it is it penalising some sectors of New Zealand? Is it penalising those who use utes for trading, the tradies, those on farms, a whole swathe who cannot buy in to the EV revolution? Um, I think in temporarily they don't they don't get the same advantage, and of course there will be a, a I think a relatively minor penalty. We have a principle of polluter pays, and if you if you own a car that stuffs the planet, and until now you haven't actually had uh, to pay for the real costs of that, um, then of course it will hurt a little bit in the meantime. But it's uh, you know in the bigger picture of things, you can still buy that car if you if you uh, really want to and uh, pay a little bit extra when it's new. Remember, once the car's in the fleet, uh, the feedbacks don't apply anymore. So it's only in that beginning stage. It's really, uh, it's certainly not a tax. Uh, yeah, my concern could, is, 
<clears throat> that an increased tariff on the new vehicles coming into the country, whether they're brand new or second-hand, is naturally going to b- bring up the price of the ones that are already here. Because if you have to pay so much more for one that's just been imported, then it's it's really going to be a, a you know a supply and demand issue and ratchet up uh, the second-hand ones that are on the market now. And again, it's going to be the most vulnerable that are going to suffer the most. Well, it's a real middle and upper class policy. I mean, let's let's be fear about it. You know, it's an eight grand tax cut for someone in the upper class who's thinking about getting an electric vehicle anyway. Yes, it does have this outcome that it feeds into the flock or whatever, but, um, you know, it is an upper and middle class policy. It is a, a three grand tax cut on someone who's looking for a used one. Um, and that's and and that's what it is. And as for the farmers and their utes and stuff like that, I saw today that it's going to take 12 to 24 months, apparently, according to Toyota, um, right. to, to get EV utes into this country. With eight grand on the table like that in a ready market, I reckon it'll be 12. They'll, they will beat their own their own estimates of getting that in here. There will be market demand for an eight grand um, discount effectively to get that out to the tradies and the farmers who right. need it. The, this, is a, this is a market, so it'll work in that way as well. Professor Hendrik Moller, I've got yes, to leave it there, it but will... yeah, one final right, comment. Right. One final comment. Yes. Yeah, well, it would... Uh, the, the other indirect uh, effect of this policy is that it incentivises manufacturers to take the New Zealand market seriously. But there's a worldwide scramble, uh, a, a race, to get the available EVs for um, uh, avoiding the other costs of um, mm. mitigating climate change. Right. So we need, you know, we, we'll get more supply out of this as well. Yep, now, Henrik, we've had so many comments. Uh, the, the practicalities, are, we're, we're gonna, we might get you back on on July the 1st and do a Q&A about those finer points of EVs. Many, for example, battery life. Can I, uh, can I drive from, for example, Auckland to Hamilton and that type of thing and back? Um, but for sure. now, Professor, Professor Henrik Moller, thank you very much for your time. Time. 18 past four, Ella Henry, Patrick Gale with me this afternoon. Just on trade me getting that yeah. innocent leaf. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite fired up, aren't you? You, it's, you, I can, you can hear it. This might be a Patrick Gale cha- game changer. Look, listeners, can I just tell you, the, ma- the male energy in this room is ratcheting up as, as we speak. I, I, uh, anything to get rid of that 2001 Toyota Corolla, Yeah, that's Patrick? right. Yeah, that's, right. Oh, that's gone. That's gone. <laughs> now... There has been huge controversy in recent days of the proposed film They Are Asked about the Christchurch terror attacks. The movie is set to focus on Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and her response to the attacks, played by Australian actor Rose Byrne. Almost 60,000 people have signed a petition calling for the film to be scrapped, saying it sidelines the victims and survivors and centres uh, the response of a white woman. Ardern said in a statement that plenty of stories from the 15th of March could be told. She does not consider hers to be one of them. Auckland-based producer Philippa Campbell withdrew from the project today, saying she agrees the events of March 15, 2019 are too raw for a film at this time, and the film didn't take enough account of the political and human context of the story. So to discuss is Dr. Rosemary Overall, a senior lecturer in media, film and communication at Otago University. Dr. Overall, kia ora, welcome to the panel. Hello, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Given the level of outcry so far, do you think this film will be scrapped entirely? Well, I think there'll be a tension because while I can see and agree with the outrage by New Zealanders that it is absolutely... Uh, perhaps irresponsible or even obscene to be mediating this trauma at this time, I'd say that the Hollywood audience, the the broader global audience, will lap up 
uh, a film such as this. Um, so, um, yeah, I think... I'm not sure okay. if the film will be scrapped entirely, mm. yeah. Let's just jump straight into our panel, Ella. Yeah, I agree. There's a um, there's definitely an international market. Um, you know, let's be very clear. Our Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is looked at by many other countries as absolutely fabulous. So anything that has some mm-hmm. kind of insight into Ardern and her leadership style is going to find an audience. As I've said already, um, this very much fit, fits into the white saviour trope, which we see in so many yeah. films. You know, whites come in and save the day. Bless them. Um, and so I, I, that has an almost an ex- exhaustible audience in the United States. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about yep. that. However, uh, if I, I'm sure that the New Zealand Film Commission and the government will be looking very closely if they're going to do any filming here, whether they get any tax breaks or any help from our own Taxpayers Film Commission funding. Rosemary? Well, it was interesting to see that the survey actually demands that people withdraw their labour. So local creatives and crew, extras, that sort of thing, um, should... uh, There's a demand that one will not uh, work on the film in a show of solidarity with the survivors and victims who are rightfully finding it, in the very least, in bad taste, at the most as um, deeply offensive and obscene. So, I mean, they may have to film it offshore, which I wouldn't be surprised Hollywood could easily do that. Um, Yeah. Mm, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, this is something I can speak with a bit of authority on because I've spent a lot of time um, working with the victims of March 15. I know a lot of them well. Um, I've had to work with them myself to get consent to do various stories and various things. And all I could say um, to Hollywood is good luck um, with that in this current environment or any environment. They're all very different. Um, They've all got their own concerns and worries. It takes a lot of time uh, to work with them, to fully understand where they're all coming from, rightfully so, by the way. And I think any chance of Hollywood having any cooperation um, from the victims of March 15 is over. Um, I would say the same would go for the New Zealand film community and political support. The chances of getting that under this current government is around about zero. So it would have Mm -hmm. to be totally done offshore, offshore, which would raise a huge amount of credibility issues. But they could still do it. And the story of Jacinda Ardern um, is a Hollywood film and always has been uh, and always will be. And somebody will get first mover advantage. The first person to do it is going to have the biggest movie, right? So that pressure is going to be there. And if this had been sold differently, maybe not around March 15, but maybe around Jacinda Ardern and her response to okay. March 15, to the right. uh, coronavirus, to empathy, um, all these kinds of things. Maybe they would have, you know, maybe there wouldn't be the outcry. It did come out quite blunt about March 15. I think that is the, you know, if you look at it, you need a simple storyline for a Hollywood movie. I'm not a scriptwriter, but you can't exactly. cover you, you can't cover everything, and that would probably be where you'd, you'd want to go on this one. What do you think one. of that, Rosemary? Well, I think, first of all, that New Zealand journalists have acted extremely well in, in terms of the fallout from March 15, and they've always been survivor and victim-centric and focused, particularly in the trial. The focus was on the witness testimony and um, impact statements, victim impact statements. Um, And, of course, the story of Jacinda is highly cinematic. And everybody, I'm sure, in New Zealand also thinks she behaves superbly. 
but this is not her story. It is the story of um, of the victims and survivors, and I think Hollywood would treat it very differently to, say, right. even a local documentary or... Um, Production. I just want to yeah. put a bit of a different twist on it, perhaps, Dr. Overall. I mean, I'm just looking looking at other, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, other films. I mean, um, let's take, for example, the legendary filmmaker Gus Van Zandt, right? So he comes out and does a mm-hmm. uh, what many to be well, actually, it, it was an acclaimed film. It was an extraordinary film, and it won the Khan, mm-hmm. the, the the best picture. It was called Elephant. Uh, and yes. it came out four years, I think, after... I think it was the Columbine shooting, right? It was Columbine, shooting, yeah. right? Yep. OK, That's so exactly in, in many ways an yep. extraordinary film. I'm just thinking, if it's done with a certain sensitivity, is there not a way that a film can be produced and we can learn from it, take something more from it, in a way that some would say Gus Van Zandt did with Elephant? I, I couldn't agree more that there is a time and a place to tell those cautionary tales. You know, Grimm's fairy tales are really just cautionary tales. Uh, however, I think to just announce this, and, you yeah. know, call me mercenary, but let's be clear, They Are Us is a T-shirt. I see merch. Yeah. I see the potential. Hashtag. They yeah. Are Us is going to become, you know, some kind of hashtag in America because it's a yeah. nice, easy way to not have to take responsibility for having better race relations. Just wear the T-shirt. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you i mean it's 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 that slogan was so amazing at the time it was just incredible but it's now you know for the victims a real point of contention and it's challenged and we don't want to give that up as a country in my view and and give that away to hollywood and let that be used on t-shirts and let that be used in a way that doesn't fit with how the people actually feel and you know, it just it just cheapens yeah. everything that happened that day. Dr. Rosemary Overell, Senior Lecturer yeah. in Film Media. Um, thank you very much for your time. It's Appreciate a pleasure. It. Thank you for having me. 20, 26 past four. The panel RNZ National. The group School Strike for Climate Auckland is disbanding as an organisation saying that it has been a racist, white-dominated space. In a statement, the group said it has avoided, ignored and tokenised the voices and demands of members who are black, indigenous and people of colour. The now disbanded group says these communities should be the ones leading the fight for climate justice and not Parkia. The full statement has been posted on the group's Facebook page. And I'm bringing the panellists now. Dr Henry, you can recall this group here. I mean, what did they have? They had they mobilised tens of thousands of people in Auckland 170,000 a year and a half ago. This is extraordinary. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to put in a, a, a bit of a call out here for anybody who has the opportunity to go to the Dock Edge Festival because High Tide Don't Hide, which is an absolutely brilliant documentary about the young school climate uh, activists. And if you'd seen that, you'd see this, the writing was on the wall. Young Luke Wee John, who's one of the movers of the Auckland community, met with the <coughs> South Auckland Pacifica group. Okay. And you could see that... that he had, like all of them, had to take responsibility for the fact that that this is not just a, a white problem to be dealt with in a very sort of bourgeois way. You know, that the, the, the kids from South Auckland were saying this is a form of climate genocide, that we're allowing these islands, these communities, these countries to disappear without without even thinking about it. So if you get a chance, go see High Tide, Don't Hide. It's oh, amazing. Great. And, and it will make, I think, the statement really seem like a natural progression from the interviews that were done last year. Some some people uh, would just uh, outside 
perhaps outside the sort of uh, the contests are tr- would be trying to get their heads around this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, here is here you, we can't wait on climate change. All of a sudden, one of the most influential groups to stand. Yeah, and isn't it climate change first? That's that's really where I'm coming from on this. I think it's extremely sad that we're seeing this happen. You know. Um, this, it's an important fight. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, don't get me wrong by by any stretch of the imagination. But to lose the momentum of a movement that is, you know, potentially the biggest movement that we've seen in this country, a generational movement um, that had actually until until today no limits as to how far it could go and continue to push and continue to drive you know i saw you know at the weekend you know they're talking about let's bring the voting age down to 16 and for many years i looked at that and was always like oh that's just a, you know that's a pipe dream but then when you look when i was looking at it at the weekend and thinking you know with these children with these demands you know with these kids with these teenagers with these demands it's it's actually more real than ever, and and Alan, and then here we get here we get this. What do you so, say to this? so I, I don't so much think that the Auckland group, because the national groups still exist, and that's very strong, and Thames and Hamilton and, and Wellington and Christchurch. I genuinely believe what this very progressive group of young, predominantly uh, Parkia young folk, are saying is we're going to stand back, and you. The ones who, who, who said last year you, we weren't making room for you, you take the lead now and we'll follow you. And I think that that's a really brave move. It's not so much saying we're abdicating responsibility. Yeah, we're out. We are. We're, yeah. it, they're saying, hey, we've now made a space for the South Auckland sure. and the Pacifica and the BIPOC. What and if... I say this is a BIPOC yeah. community <laughs> yeah. to, to step in and not feel like we're you know, in front. What if what yeah. are Patty's comments that this, this, this could represent a real loss of momentum? It's a major movement and it takes time to build up that momentum. Well, they haven't had to have a march and they've got a lot of publicity. That seems like momentum to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what, you know, what, we, what we're talking about here is, is it potentially um, growing pains of this organisation? Is this the kind of tension that happens when something gets up and running? And I hope it is. I, I, I hope, for the sake of the planet... Um, that it, that that it is because I think they I think they're one of the best things that New Zealand's seen in a in a in a long time. So you know I hope it's growing pains and not some sort of division that they never bounce back from. No, we're, right. we're still working through some divisions we've never quite bounced yeah, 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 back from. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like not bouncing. I'm, yeah. I like bouncing back from divisions. That's yeah, that's, like, that's that's what I like. You like some I, yeah. straight resolution yeah. on your pay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leanne Wellington says, as a 58-year-old Pākehā Wahine, I agree with the panel regarding the film, a proposed film. This is not the time to tell the story. And when it eventually is the focus, it should be on the community affected and not made by someone who does not understand the community. yes. I signed the petition. Here on the panel are international uh, Ella Henry and Paddy Gower with me this afternoon. Much to come right after the headlines of Marama Tepole.